Welcome to Hidden Tracks with Robin LaRose, the little heard stories behind the music, the artists, and their work. Hi, and welcome back to Hidden Tracks. Uh, before we get into this week's episode with ex-Fleetwood Mac guitarist Lindsey Buckingham, I uh, just want to mention to uh, check out the other episodes in uh, Series 1 with Robert Plant, Roger Waters, the uh, founders of the original Woodstock Festival, and uh, some of the performers uh, that appeared at Woodstock 1969, like Grace Slick, Graham Nash, the MC uh, Chip Monk. There's some really eye-opening stories about uh, Woodstock 1969, stories behind the music and uh, the artists who uh, made and uh, make the music, actually. Have a listen to those, subscribe to the podcast, leave your comments and or thoughts on uh, what we're doing here with Hidden Tracks. Okay, on to uh, the latest episode and this week's guest, Lindsey Buckingham, a name that has been synonymous with the legendary band Fleetwood Mac on and off for, uh, I guess, about 45 years now. He was unceremoniously uh, let go or fired or removed or whatever you want to call it from Fleetwood Mac in 2018 after it was reported that Stevie Nicks became enraged after Lindsay was seen, quote, smirking, unquote, while she uh, delivered a speech at the Music Cares benefit that winter. Anyways, Lindsay was let go. Fleetwood Mac uh, started uh, rehearsing and getting their world tour together. They hired Tom Petty, Heartbreakers guitarist Mike Campbell, and Neil Finn of Crowded House as uh, replacements for Lindsay. And meanwhile, he sued the band. And uh, a settlement was uh, ultimately reached out of courts while he went on tour himself promoting his anthology set. And then uh, his tour was canceled due uh, to Lindsay having heart surgery that ultimately uh, damaged his vocal cords. And uh, he's continuing to recoup and uh, get better every day as uh, we speak. So this conversation, needless to say, took place before all of that drama occurred. And when we spoke, Lindsay was in a really great place. He was having fun with his solo work, touring, and living life with his wife and kids in L.A. And that's where I caught up with Lindsay Buckingham. Hey, how are you doing, Lindsay? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I was just going through your page and uh, looking at all the friends that you have. My God. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. <laughs> and I was uh, I was going down the list and looking at uh, Jessica says, "Have a great weekend." I know I will. And then I got lost. <laughs> but but <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> um, how are you, anyways? I, I just got home and I'm sitting here with my little three year old and uh, and life is good. You know, we're we're uh, having a, a blast. I'm I'm in a situation where I'm taking. Uh, a bit of time, so this is a, an excellent time for me. It really, I'm having a great time. Yeah, you're getting a lot of uh, mileage out of Under the Skin. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This album is on a lot of top 50s lists, Rolling Stone, Uncut, Mojo Magazine. Um, it's it's sort of, um, and I think you were quoted as saying this, um, it's sort of a distillation of uh, Fleetwood Mac and, and, and solo material that has just kind of come together. Would that be safe to say? Yes, I think that's pretty accurate. You know, I mean, you you spend a long time kind of uh, getting something that you can call your own as a style, and certainly as a guitarist especially, that's something that has come into focus. Um on stage a lot, you know, with the the way I've applied a finger-picking style to acoustic songs, songs like Big Love, which may have started as as uh, ensemble pieces, but eventually made, the, made their way to being, you know, single guitar pieces. Looking at- 
that. And I wanted to uh, reapply all of what I'd learned over the last 10 years or so back in to uh, a studio approach. And, and so, that you know, in order to do that, we had to kind of pare it down a bit. And, yes, exactly. I, I think it, it, that's pretty accurate. Um, Dylan was uh, quoted in Rolling Stone. He, he likes touring and continues to do so because it's, it's real life and real time for him. Uh, would you agree? Same for you? Well, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a certain specific slice of life, absolutely. Um, it's very authentic. It, uh, you're, you establish a camaraderie with uh, a group of people that, you know, all want the same thing. You're uh, going through a, a kind of a rite of passage every night, which uh, uh, is very life-affirming, and, and you're sharing that, that with an, an audience, you know. So there, there's a lot of real... Uh, deep contact with with a, a group of people going on, and and you're also you know reaffirming something which you uh, care about deeply within yourself, and and restating it every night. So um, you know it, it it is one of those those things which you feel lucky to be able to do. You know that's it's it's great. And of course, every night you feed off of the energy that's coming out of uh, the crowd, huh? Yes, exactly. Whether it's 20,000 or, or 2,000 people. And last time you were here, you did um, tons of stuff from the new album and some Mac and some other solo stuff and Tusk. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we've moved a few things around and added a few things and, you know, changed a, a few things. But the, the core of what we're doing is basically the same, yeah. H- have you played um, and or heard of the famous Commodore Ballroom here in Vancouver? Well, I've heard of it, but I can't say I know much about it. It's, it's, been, it's been around for 75-plus uh, years. Everybody from uh, Count Basie uh, on down the line to The Clash, to The Police, uh, to Joe Jackson, to you name it, they've played here over the years. And wow. it's, it's a very, very cool room. Intimate, great acoustics. Um, will house about uh, a 1,000-plus. Well, you know, it's great playing smaller places. You know, as you say, you play to 2,000 people or, or sometimes less, and, and you, uh, you connect on a, on a fairly quick level with, with pretty much the whole room, and you connect in a way which is very difficult to do in an arena uh, where a certain portion of the people may uh, be able to have that, that sense of from you and you may get it from them but the people you know a little bit farther back do not get that you don't get it from them and and again there's there's the fact that most arenas are not necessarily built for music and uh, you you run into that issue too with acoustics this album was released on your 58th birthday right uh, 57th yeah okay oh you know it's been in the computers that I'm 59 he, they've got it all over the place, but you know. Well, well how old do you feel, anyways? <laughs> I think I'm a, I, you know, I think I'm in Arrested Development. I, I, I think I'm still like, you know, 25. <laughs> I mean, what's in an age, anyways? It's just how you feel. That's for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, are you still a kid at heart? Well, you know, it's it's funny. A lot of these songs in this collection on the new CD are about growing up, and um, you know, sort of moving on to. The next phase in the in the ever uh, the never ending uh, effort to be what they call an adult, whatever that means. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you don't. I I would I certainly hope that I never become too much of an adult. You know, yeah. Because I, it can definitely, uh, you know, it can it can kind of sap 
some of the life out of you. You can certainly get in the way, can't it? Yeah. Um, thank God for that Mickey Mouse guitar when you were a kid, Thanks. huh? <laughs> you did your homework. I did. Good. You mentioned um, going in to Fleetwood Mac. I pulled out the Buckingham Knicks album uh, last night again and listened to it. And I've always loved it. But you know that I can't let go. I hear it was a difficult decision for you and Stevie to join Fleetwood Mac when you when you had Buckingham Knicks. Is that well, you right? know, it was a funny thing. Uh, you, you would think it wouldn't have been, but in fact, it was not a, a clear thing to uh, as far as a decision. Even though the Buckingham Knicks album had uh, come and gone on the charts, it hadn't really been a success. Even though uh, we were sort of basically starving, if you, as just to use a word, in, uh-huh. in Los Angeles. We also somehow, uh, over a period of half a year, had uh, garnered a lot of interest in various places in the South um, where we were able to play for headline, actually, for maybe four or 5,000 people. The, dis- the discrepancy between being completely anonymous in Los Angeles and, and that kind of a phenomenon made us think that, well, maybe there is some kind of a groundswell going on here. Do we want to try to see that through? So there was that, and there was also the sense that even though Fleetwood Mac had been this um, this great blues band in, in the late 60s, um, they had had so many incarnations since that time, and we didn't really have a, a clear sense of who Fleetwood Mac was. Right. So it was both of those things, and it was, it, it was just a kind of an instinctive decision. Now, it, it was the Frozen track from that album that sort of convinced uh, Mick to pick up the phone and say, hey, you got to join this band. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's right. This is nice. Well, it was funny. We, Stevie and I were working in a small studio in the back at a place called Sound City, a studio, and I walked into the big studio and I see this really tall guy, you know, just bopping away to the solo at the end of one of, uh, one of my songs, or Stevie's in my song. And I'm introduced to Mick Fleetwood and uh, and I guess about a week later, he calls and he asks me to join. <laughs> and I said, well, you you got to take my girlfriend, too. <laughs> Do the songs or did the songs come easily? Well, yeah, they did this time. Uh, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't depending on, on, you know, what's going on. Uh, I don't even think of myself as a writer, per se. I'm sort of, I guess, more a stylist. Uh, you can get a long way on style, but... <laughs> but, uh, yes, I think there there was a lot uh, waiting to come out. There, were, there was a lot to address in terms of moving on to a, a new phase in one's life, um, you know, putting some old uh, concerns away, and it was really very liberating. Probably the re- the only reason I started making solo albums in the first place was because we did this album called Tusk, which was the follow-up to Rumors, and was far more experimental. Yeah. And the band was was uh, was quite excited about that until it turned out that it didn't sell 16 million albums, and then. <laughs> You know, 
know, there was this kind of meeting where they said, Lindsay, we still want you to produce, but you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. So there's a kind of an arbitrary limitation on on trying to go back to an earlier formula, which was which, which was hard. I, I've heard um, through a variety of sources that you sort of have a love-hate relationship with the Mac and all the trappings that uh, went on with it, the money, the pressure, the fame, and all that kind of stuff. And, and looking back on those days now, I mean, do you, do you find it strange, surreal? I mean, back into the 76, 77 rumors and the self-titled release. Well, you know, I don't think there was another band like Fleetwood Mac in the sense that um, we were probably an unlikely group of people to be together in the first place. More to the point, we were two couples going in when Stevie and I joined. Yeah. And uh, a year later, Stevie was moving away from me, basically, and Christine was moving away from John. It was the women basically leaving the men. But, you know, the key thing being that because we were in this uh, position of having to, I don't know what you'd call it, fulfill our destiny, whatever, Obviously, it was obvious that we, we had to, you know, keep going. Uh, there was there was no way to to get any proper closure in that situation where you have to see someone every day and, and speaking for me personally just you know as a producer having to do for Stevie having to produce for her and, and in a sense ironically allowing her to move even farther away so that's that's the the basic thing that um, that I will always think of as the difficulty you know that that made the success bittersweet. I'm And, you know, given so much water under the bridge, you're quoted as saying a lot has happened, a lot of questions have been answered. The Mac, the mega tours, and uh, you're enjoying life with the three kids and all that kind of stuff. It's just so much has uh, gone by, huh? It's kind of amazing when you look back at it in the rearview mirror, right? Well, it really is. And, and you know, a lot of people uh, put uh, a focus on on music uh, to a degree that... that it becomes a detriment to other parts of their lives, and uh, and they end up not being in a position that I'm in. You know, I did see a lot of my friends, a lot of people who were family members and parents at a much younger age who were not really there uh, in the way they should have been, and, and the family suffered, and I really didn't want to do that, and so it, I held off. You know, by the time I got to be in my 40s and thought, well, maybe I'm ready now, I, it, it didn't seem so likely, but I was, you know, I was very lucky about age 45 to meet someone uh, and uh, to have this opportunity at a relatively late point. It really is a gift, and uh, it's nice to have gone through all of this and and still, I I must have good karma. What what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for someone to come out of somewhere.
Um, I noticed, um, not noticed, I, I can tell there's some Beach Boys influence in some of the tracks off of Under the Skin. Uh, uh-huh. The harmonies on it was you and beautiful stuff. You would agree? Yeah, that's counterpoint kind of idea for sure. Under the skin, everything shows under the skin. Everything goes. Brian, he inspired me on a different level, too, which was that at a time in Fleetwood Mac when when we were sort of uh, making a choice to either take some chances or to sort of shoot the straight and narrow after rumors. And, of course, we, we made Tusk, you know, which was not the straight and narrow. Uh, I, I was, was someone who identified a great deal with Brian, who also had uh, what, what we might call growing pains and, and had realized that he had gotten to the end of a certain thing in a certain context and was looking to do other things and was getting resistance from uh, within his band and was, you know, having, but somehow, you know, summoned the courage to do it anyway. And, and so he was a, uh, a figure who I identified with and, and drew a certain amount of uh, courage from on that level as well. And that's probably always been one of the symptoms of, of what's wrong with Fleetwood Mac on a, on a, on a social level is that we can never seem to agree on very much or get on the same page. I've asked this before, and I'm going to ask it again. Um, you know, during those years of 75, 6, 7, with all the stuff that was going on, the chaos and the breaking up and uh, the substances and a lot riding on the final product, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed how you guys kept that together. I mean, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you keep it together, record and tour? Uh, and aren't you amazed that you pulled that off and continued? Well, um, in retrospect... Yes, I mean there. When I think about uh, certain aspects of the recording process, which were, uh, you know, I guess I would just say less than efficient, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, less than focused. Uh, the, I, I guess the reason that we were able to do that was that we were, uh, we made the choice. Uh, especially, uh, say, John and, and myself and Christine and Stevie, who had been two couples and who had broken up and were not really, you know, uh, were having to work together anyway, I think we all made the choice to kind of compartmentalize and uh, kind of uh, almost live in denial about certain things in order to get on with this extraordinary thing that was happening to us, you know. Yeah, and uh, it's that's not to say that it didn't have some negative residue in 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 its aftermath. And you know, as someone who's a husband now and a, a father and a family member and is seeing the, the gifts of that, I you know I I can also see that there that I still have work to do in in terms of making myself uh, as say accessible or clear about certain things and a lot of that has to do with with what we all went through i think you know but but the lucky thing is that i'm getting an opportunity to do that you know monday morning you showed the fight friday i got traveling on my mind 
you think being on the edge of chaos all the time contributes to the creative process and <laughs> gives a tad it to I think it cuts both ways. You know, I think, uh, you know they, they say that. Uh, I think it can, it can uh, drag you down or it can lift you up depending on, on the, the brakes. Yeah. On the hand you're dealt, I think there's a lot to be said for a, a certain um, uh, saneness and, and um, I don't want to say formula, but I do want to say structure yeah. to to uh, a process. Uh, and maybe that becomes more and more appropriate, uh, you know, as you get older, too, where you learn to know your work process and learn to trust what it is you're doing and how you're doing it, and, and therefore maybe don't need to, to feel that the chaos is, is even, uh, you know, something you, you have to find at all. Yeah, kind of a double-edged sword, absolutely. It is, I would think, yeah. And where you are now, it's a pretty cool place to be, you know? I, I can hear it. I can hear it. I, I would say, unequivocally, it's the best time of my life. And uh, and my wife just walked in the room, and she's raising her hand in victory. <laughs> <laughs> um, congratulations to you, man. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Lindsay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Lindsey Buckingham on the Hidden Tracks podcast. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. He's a really nice guy. Fun to talk to, and uh, I can't wait for what's next musically uh, from him after he fully recuperates from his uh, heart surgery that he had earlier in uh, the spring of uh, this year. From what I understand, he's uh, he's doing great. Uh, and you never know, maybe we'll see him back with Fleetwood Mac before they call it quits for good. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hidden Tracks podcast with Robin LaRose. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts.